Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which we're excited to resume here in the fall of 2021 in our home city of New York. But that's to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited to bring you uh, the latest in our series of conversations about healthcare and biotechnology uh, with the great Sergey Young. Uh, Sergey is a longevity investor and visionary with a mission to extend healthy lifespans of 1 billion people. To do that, Sergey founded the Longevity Vision Fund to accelerate life extension technological breakthroughs, and to make longevity affordable and accessible to all. Uh, Sergey is on the board of directors of the American Federation of Aging Research and the development sponsor of Age Reversal XPRIZE Global Foundation uh, competition designed to cure aging. Uh, Sergey is also a top 100 longevity leader uh, who is transforming the world one workplace at a time with Longevity at Work, which is the first nonprofit corporate longevity program of its kind. Uh, Sergey has been featured as a top longevity expert and contributor on CNN, Fox News, and Forbes. He's the author of several books, including most recently, The Science and Technology of Growing Young, a fantastic read that we would highly recommend uh, that you pick up if you're interested in this subject matter. He's also the mastermind behind the online life extension platform, SergeyYoung.com. Uh, Sergey is passionate about sharing news from the exciting world of longevity and definitely a premier thought leader in that space. Hosting today's talk is somebody who also knows a lot about longevity research. That's Dr. Dina Radinkovic, uh, who's a partner at the SALT Fund, which uh, recently raised a fund to invest in early stage uh, programmable biology companies, which we're very excited uh, to launch. Dr. Dina, thank you so much for joining us. I'll let you take it from here. Thank you, John and Sergey. Excited to have you on our SALT Talks. Hi, John. Hi, Dina. Hi, everyone. I'm very excited to be here with you today. Uh, well, I mean, congratulations on the new book. It's a big achievement and it managed to cover quite a lot in this field of longevity. Um, when is it coming out? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, at least for the last three years. Um, it's going to be published in August 24th. And we are already number one in, in three categories on Amazon, longevity, aging and preventive medicine. So I'm very proud, even one month before the book launch. Wow. Um, and, um, well, we hope that uh, success has its own longevity and that it maintains post the book launch as well. We have no doubts about that. So could you maybe tell us a bit more about your book and the project? We've seen, I guess, a bit increased interest in the field and several textbooks, including, for example, uh, David Sinclair's book, have tried to explain perhaps the science behind it, certain books um, like uh, the one from Peter Diamandis, try to focus on the new technologies that will enable the science to be delivered. Where would you rate your book? Could you give us a bit more of a flavor while we wait to get the hard copy? Yeah, so Longevity Vision Fund is one of the few longevity-focused funds in the world. And at certain point in time, we were like the largest fund in the world, which, which has 100% focus on longevity. This is not to say how great we are. This is to say that the, the space the, uh, and the field of longevity is just right in the beginning of its, uh, its growth. And um, 
through my work in the fund, uh, in a, in uh, in uh, in the fund, um, we're looking at 200 different companies a year, which are in the field of science and technology of living longer and, and the digital health. And I thought this is what I can share with the world. We have a lot of. Um, books with uh, scientific background, more kind of scientific view, but not a lot of uh, books which talk about different technologies, which are going to transform our ability um, and give us more optionality in terms of our lifespan and, and health span. Fascinating. So it's a, basically like a must-have overview for everyone who's interested in, the, in this field of longevity and to see what's coming up. And you mentioned your fund, and obviously we want to focus on the new content of the book, but um, it is, and it was one of the, you were one of the visionaries and uh, you definitely had the temerity to go into this field of aging, which is evolving and it's attracting more people and uh, it's proving its value. But can you tell us a bit more about raising and setting up that fund? You were one of the first people to set up a hundred million fund solely focused on longevity. And how did you define the investments? What was your experience there of setting up a solely longevity focused fund and putting it in the name as well? Yeah, so it's... Uh... It's been pretty difficult road. Well, the good news, I've been investing for the last 20 years. So in fact, you know, my I, I have so many full-time jobs, including the job of being loving husband and uh, father of four kids, uh, similar to some of us uh, on this call. And um, uh, so obviously it's, it's all went through the experience, the outcome uh, and the failures and, and, and uh, successes that I've made through my private equity investment history. So right now I'm managing multi-billion dollars private equity portfolio. <clears throat> so in a way it was easy, but um, what was difficult is to realize that longevity is, is an investment tale, is so immature. It's almost like an orphan for huge institutions. And um, uh, having said that, I thought if I want to support the space, if I want to give a hand of help to entrepreneurs and a scientist who's going to bring in more uh, solutions for us to be healthy in this world. I just, I'll just set up like a small fund rather than reading and kind of news and, and books. You know, I just wanted to write my own book in terms of uh, investment uh, metaphorically speaking. So I thought I'll just set up $50 million fund. So then I, I met one of my investors. So I raised 50 million in the first five minutes. And I'm insecure overachiever. I couldn't really appreciate something which has been given to me like in five minutes. And I think it's, uh, it sounds very familiar to some of our audience. So I immediately raised the bar. I said, okay, it shouldn't be like 50 million because it was too easy. I'll raise hundred million. And uh, it was amazing. Again, I, I, I've been doing investments for uh, last 20 years. But like, so we invested in LVF1, we invested in 16 companies. Uh, in the, our average holding period today is 2.5 years. And we already have four out of 16 companies public. And another three will be public by the end of this year, by the end of 2021. This was the fastest transformation from private to public I've ever seen in any of my portfolio. Uh, so that's been amazing. Um, what else? Um, it's uh, we quickly realized that because longevity is is such an unknown theme for the world, regulators, investors, uh, portfolio companies. So we adopted the approach when we we took 
intentionally broad definition of longevity. So our definition is like whatever increase um, the average lifespan and health span on earth is longevity for us. So we invested in a lot of uh, proper biotech plays, um, but with only one um, additional side effect, they all need to contribute to healthy and happy living uh, on the planet. And again, since my mission is to change 1 billion lives, and uh, some people ask me, Sergey, why it's only 1 billion? Yeah, and uh, uh, what, I, what I've done is um, we are focusing on affordable and accessible version of healthcare and longevity. So th this is one of the investment criteria that we use. This technology, this intervention, this scientific discovery needs to have a profound effect in terms of affordability and, and, and uh, give an opportunity for at least millions of people to benefit uh, from that uh, in the short term. Fascinating. And I mean, we both agree that longevity is a great space to build and invest and support companies. Um, and I think you've proven it with the success of your portfolio. So we can talk a little bit about that, but let's take a step back. Um, how was it in the beginning? I remember uh, once we met, I think it was in London about two years ago, you told me that, oh, I caught the longevity virus. Like, how was it switching and telling all these people, oh, I'm no longer just going to manage private equity. I want to set up a longevity fund. And, how, you know, what made you catch the longevity virus or get interested and so excited about the field? Yeah, well, unfortunate reality, we all start to develop the interest in, uh, into healthy living once we hit um, our own barrier, our own obstacle, we receive a wake-up call. So I had two, and it, they, they both on the personal side, the lung cancer case with my father back in 2005, he survived, but the quality of his life is never recovered. Or, you know, I had, well, back in 2014, I had my own health case. So I had high cholesterol um, in my blood. <clears throat> this is not uh, this is not rare. Like 40 statistically, actually, 40% of the people suffer from that around the world. But I've been offered to take statins. This is special class of drugs uh, every day uh, till the rest of my life. And I was not a big fan of this idea. So I started to experiment like how I can achieve the same result, like improve my health without necessarily taking medication every day. And, uh, and that's it. And then the final thing, uh, I started to push a lot of my friends and people who, you know, who I uh, know to do medical checkups. Few of them discovered early stage cancer. And these days, Unlike 20 years ago, when cancer was case of that, um, you can like your recovery rates if if you do a really early diagnostic of cancer can be as high as 95, 100, even 100 percent, depending on the cancer type. So they all call me up and said, "Sergey, you saved my life, literally. Thanks for pushing me to do this checkup. You know, I owe you." And once you receive a few of calls like this you're on a hook, you know I mean? It's just like, oh, I have a bigger mission in life. I can change so many lives. And this is how this whole thing started. Fascinating, yeah, it's true with the new diagnostics. And you actually touch upon that in, in your book is that almost every cancer uh, can be curable if discovered early enough. Um, okay, and then I guess moving forward, um, you set up the fund, it was a hundred million fund and now we understand why um, um, it was uh, that number and how you structure your investment. 
And you mentioned you already had kind of six investments. A lot of them have done extremely well. Um, I think the field has done a lot better than um, a lot of the skeptics thought initially. Could you tell us a bit more? You mentioned that it was, it's obviously a very early field. Um, and how do you pick your investments? You went for some really successful biotech firms. Um, like, t- tell us a bit more about that. You mentioned they all need to have a side effect to extend life expectancy. How do you assess that? Because a lot of the companies that are getting incorporated in longevity almost feel like they need to mask as an oncology, like cancer company yeah. or a tr- more traditional biotech because of all the implications that we have in the field of longevity. FDA does not recognize aging as a disease. Um, they, they don't want to mention position themselves as to focus. The field is just getting moving. Um, so how, how how are you picking, I guess, kind of being a, a pioneer in like a very early stage fund with an extremely successful track record? Yeah. Um, so what we've done, uh, we, we, I mean, all you need to do is just look at statistics, like what are the reasons for death uh, for the age 50 plus? And uh, for killer monster diseases, uh, which are responsible for 90% of deaths after age of 50 are cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and neurodegenerative diseases. And, and, and the last one is actually pretty new. We still don't know what we don't know about dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, etc. But for the for the rest of uh, of you know, for like three out of four, uh, that we have pretty good knowledge of um, like what are the mechanism and and root cause of uh, these diseases and how we can treat them. So again, I mean, just looking at the uh, typical you know biotech or medical devices uh, company, and you put it in the in the context of current mortality statistics. And exactly, because what is available uh, to us today is, uh, and, and the whole life extension strategy for the world in the last 100 years was uh, eliminating early death. That's why if you look at the statistic, the life expectancy, lifespan, the average lifespan on earth um, uh, increased uh, by two times, somewhere from 40 to like 75 in the last 100 years. And this is not, uh, you know, that we started to live longer. It was more about we were eliminating early death, specifically like infant death or um, uh, some other um, uh, earlier stages of our life. But the the maximum lifespan on Earth was always the same. It was somewhere around 120 years. It, it, is, it is actually 122, thanks to this beautiful... Um, French woman uh, who died 20 years ago. But um, so what we're doing is like 30% of our capital is invested into something that, which is relevant right now, like early diagnostic of cancer um, or affordable uh, medical diagnostic devices or wearables. Uh, This is companies like Freenom who have portfolio of cancers and, and use our blood tests to identify risk of colon cancer. Uh, this is super important because to, in today's world, to, uh, to identify whether you have colon cancer risk or not, you need to do colonoscopy, and it's invasive, it's expensive, people hate that. I, I was delayed in my procedure for like two years, and I'm, I'm longevity enthusiast. So right now, it's just you know a few hundred dollars in, in your blood sample, and uh, it's the same efficiency like uh, the old uh, invasive procedure. Uh, or... Um, um, affordable and accessible um, ultrasound devices uh, to the size of our 
uh, smartphone, the company called Eco Imaging that we invested in, uh, this device costs like $2,000, while ultrasound device in the hospital next door is somewhere around between $100,000 and $200,000. It has the same efficiency. You scan, you, uh, the, the whole you know, number of scans go into cloud, and then it's artificial intelligence pre-analyze that before nurse or doctor can, you know, can have access to the outcome of your ultrasound. So this is like 30% of our fund, like what we can do today. And 70% uh, of our fund is dedicated to what I call in the book, near horizon of longevity. This is the discoveries in science and, and breakthroughs in technology, which gonna be available to us in the next five, 10, 15 years. So that's that's very important actually to stay healthy now because you need to stay on longevity bridge like Ray Kurzweil told us for another 10, 15 years for your body and mind to be worth extending its resource in 10 years from now. But <clears throat> if you look at near horizon of longevity, we're looking at genetic engine therapy. We're looking at uh, regenerative medicine in particular to organ regeneration. We'll all will have an ability to regenerate our organs or to replace our organs, if you uh, want to imply here like an old car metaphor, when you can replace certain parts and, and the life and, and uh, uh, the car extend its um, lifespan, um, if you want. And, and some of this is in the field of uh, drug discovery and drug development. I do believe that in um, 10 years from now, we're going to have a new special kind of drugs uh, which are longevity drugs or age reversal drugs, they're going to fight aging processes inside our body or in our DNA, uh, unlike drugs that we have today, which are very specific to one particular disease. So we're trying to diversify portfolio like LVF1 will have uh, at least yeah, 22, 25 companies in our portfolio. We, we right in the end of our investment period, uh, just another 12 months remain. And like literally... Uh, this week, we just closed the first 100 million for uh, LVF2. We have a lot of interest from our LPs, from uh, a lot of new investors. So we're raising the next uh, fund and we already completed with the first half of that. Uh, so we have another 12 months to raise uh, another 100 million for uh, LVF2 as well. And probably final comment that it's, it's, it's very tempting to look for one silver bullet solution to human health and longevity. But like, and, and, if, you, and if you use your logic, if, if this would be possible, then it's either mother nature in the form of evolution or um, talented human brains in form of science would have found the solution already. So it's not a silver bullet. It's gonna be a combination of the things that we need to influence to live longer, healthier and happier life. Well, that's why a certain degree of diversification inside our portfolio in terms of technologies, geographies, um, different uh, classes uh, is helpful. Fascinating. Well, you know, uh, um, I'm a medical doctor by background and I certainly believe that health is a very complex um, and it, it can, I often get asked like, what is going to be the single pill that's going to help us live longer, happy to 200 years. And I tell them, well, it might be a bit more complex, but you touch upon so many things. First, congratulations on the fund. And we're very happy that it's going well. Your work really means a lot, um, in the field. Um, but you mentioned so many topics that we could just go and kind of dive deeper. 
Um, one of the first things you mentioned is this advanced diagnostics. And I think before we go and talk about the new tests and um, the diagnostic kits, I think everyone is interested to see what do you do? You mentioned that you were deferring your colonoscopy. I mean, you're a pioneer in this space. You're um, an advocate. Um, um, so what is your longevity plan? What tests do you do? Like, how do you optimize your yeah. own health? So uh, this, uh, I'll tell you about like five, uh, our five main longevity choices, like longevity, which I put in, I call it uh, five longevity buckets, but there's more information uh, in the book. It, it's called Bonus Chapter, Who Wants to Live Forever, quoting Freddie Mercury uh, song. But uh, it's more, it's about 10 things that I do. And, and actually the last, like the bonus chapter is, uh, is um, uh, twice as long as any other chapter in the book. Uh, so okay. it's just a lot of information there. And this is the fascinating thing. This is where I, why I started to do longevity and longevity investments. Exactly for this moment when people try to change something now, rather than waiting for 10 years to you know, become a healthy and happy version of uh, themselves. So five buckets. One, when I have 30 seconds on longevity, I just push people to, their, to do their medical checkups every year. And, and I always say, this is the most important day of your life every year. As we discuss uh, previous discussion, my wife has um, a little bit different view of what is the most important day within the year, but... <laughs> Otherwise, like I'm doing my checkup every year. So I choose the place in California, in San Diego. It's a human longevity center set up by Peter Diamantes, Greg Venter, uh, so many great uh, minds. But you can do checkup in the hospital next door. It, it's not a rocket science. Um, and it's, uh, it's pretty standard procedure. Just make sure they address to the maximum extent possible, cancer, heart disease, diabetes risks. So that's that's your brief. This is the type of discussion you need to have with your doctor. And um, well, that's amazing. We have a lot of technology to help you to live longer. We just need to be mindful and preventive and proactive about your, your health risk. So that's one. Uh, second piece is, um, I call it passive longevity or don't do st stupid things. Uh, like tobacco smoking is just like statistically minus 10 years from your lifespan. Um, using the seat belts in all occasions is plus two years to your uh, life. Um, what else? I just, had a, I just had a letter from my very good friend from California. She's an amazing woman, entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur. So she's going to climb the mountain called K2. And this is the most dangerous mountain in the world. Mortality rate is 25%. And uh, like, I couldn't really explain that, right? Like Russian roulette, 100 or 200 years ago was 60, sorry, 17% risk of dying from the first shot. But she, so she took a risk, which is much higher than this crazy exercise. So that's, um, it is about responsible behavior, right? So the third piece is about diet. And um, it, there's a lot of disagreement in the academic space, what actually extends your life. But there's only one agreement, reducing the calorie intensity of, or like a number of calories that you take every day by 15 to 25%, gonna extend the healthy portion of your life by three, five, or seven years. That's it. Well, that's amazing. I mean, obviously it's easier to say than to do. So my life hacks, I eat a lot of vegetables because even if I have like a half of my table full of vegetables here today for the dinner, 
uh, it's they they so in intense in terms of the uh, calories. So it, this is great, and it's not a lot of harm you can do to your body and mind with um, with vegetables. And obviously, it's about controlling the quality of your meat and fish. Uh, and uh, I'm avoiding like industrial version of meat and fish. So it's going to be wild fish or organic meat. So this is extremely important. Industrial meat has certain substances that you want to avoid at, uh, after like certain concentration, like antibiotics, uh, growth hormones, equally bacteria. I think it was statistics for US when 70% uh, of, of antibiotics is consumed by animal and by uh, fish on the farms. Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, and I do fasting, like, but I do very radical version of fasting in 36 hours, um, Monday evening to Wednesday morning. You don't need to go that far. Just a window fasting, like, you know, consume all your food within the day, within the like six hours interval or eight hours interval, I think would do uh, fine as well. So that's like a bucket number three diet. Four is about physical activity. We have this, binary mentality of physical activity. So I'm either doing like Iron Man or Iron Woman, or I'm just sitting you know, in my home and you know, watching football, right? And uh, we don't need to be that binary. Just use your wearable, whether it's Apple Watch, Fitbit, uh, Whoop, Garmin, it doesn't matter. Count your 10,000 steps a day because you can integrate walking into the so many activities that you do. And that's it. This is like two thirds of your physical activity agenda for the day. And, you, and on top of that, I mean, if you like yoga, you can add stretching, you can add cardio, weightlifting, whatever you like. And, and, and the fifth piece, um, I call it peace of mind. And, and every time we talk about health, we talk about physical health. While I think the mental aspect of that is um, sometimes much more important. I don't want to live longer or not if I'm not healthy and, and if I'm not happy. So it's sleep. Uh, my rule is eight hours in the bed, which is seven hours of sleep. And I use Oura Ring, some of the wearables. I have plenty of wearables. Like I have glucose monitor here, all of this. I'm, I'm recreating internet of body, uh, similar to internet of things. Um, uh, and uh, I'm an example of that. Um, so uh, sleep, uh, meditation and mindfulness, because we need to decrease the level of cortisol in our blood. We, our body and mind were ne never created by the gut and mother nature to handle all the stress that we have around us. So we need just to be decreasing the cortisol, um, dangerous stress hormone in our blood. And, and, in our blood. and then finally, um, um, it's about sense of purpose. Uh, it's, if, you, if you think about spiritual leaders and people who have a big mission or big dream in life, they always look younger, uh, they live longer, they're more happier. So even statistically, they're gonna live plus five, plus seven years and they're gonna enjoy the life. So it's having sense of purpose, sharing the best of you with the world, helping other people to succeed and giving more than you take is important as well. So that's that's my five longevity buckets. Wow, fascinating, Sergey. Well, I'm glad that you, I mean, you definitely have this big mission. So with helping 1 billion people live longer. Um, and uh, it's really exciting that people now have that all in this uh, big uh, last chapter of the book so they can kind of find and make their own longevity practices. Certainly agreed that 
with this kind of five buckets or however you structure it, people will live long enough in order to live longer mm-hmm. to wait for the new therapies, which were the ones that we've discussed, like um, uh, gene therapy and epigenetic changes and other anti-aging interventions that are coming up. Um, but I guess the one thing that you know might be interesting to discuss, and I think you mentioned it in your book, and it's, it's still a bit of a controversial issue, um, is the data that is collected by the wearables and the data that is collected by diagnostics. Um, and as we, you know, as we convince people to switch from a reactive to a proactive medicine that, you know, their day of medical testing is the most important day and, and the happiest day of their life because they're doing something very useful for themselves. Um, we're, we're collecting data. You know, we both have a continuous glucose monitor on right now. We can compare our blood sugar, see how we're responding to even to this conversation, but you mentioned like an interesting concept that, you know, health or data uh, privacy will have a fight and like health will win. What are the implications of this data collection and how do we maximize the use of the data without kind of breaking the, the barriers that people have about, you know, just confidentiality of their healthcare data that has, to be honest, a bit prevented organizations from all over the world from collaborating, working with each other, um, and sharing insights. Yeah, well, this is a huge problem. And and this is the biggest opportunity that we have in terms of changing the regulation so people are not afraid to share their health data. Because what drives your um, uh, skepticism about this is is the sense and fear of expected inequality uh, when you have any kind of job conversation or you, you're trying to buy insurance. Well, that's it. Uh, it's, it can, this can be easily regulated, but obviously the value of health data uh, stored in one place and uh, where artificial intelligence and human intelligence can work with that is enormous. And for some of the countries, it's going to be source of competitive advantage. Well, this, this was my one of my key messages in UK Parliament, like UK had this enormous opportunity to leverage the data of its citizen. And obviously in the the way which respect privacy for the benefit of the nation and the benefit of humanity. And the same thing's happening in Dubai, in Singapore, not necessarily in the US. Well, the problem is US, and I say it with a lot of love, right? Um, U.S. has the most inefficient and, uh, and the most expensive healthcare system uh, in the world. We in U.S. spend 18% of our GDP on healthcare. Think about U.K., it's 8%, or Singapore, this is 5% of GDP. And they, they have far better results in terms of increasing lifespan. In fact, pre-COVID, last five years pre-COVID in U.S., the average lifespan has been decreasing in three years out of five. Well, that's ridiculous for a developed country of this size, right? And, and the level of this success in the history. So we need to change this as well. And, and again, we don't need to be binary about this whole thing. And right now we've re, we're really binary, like health data in, in the hands of big tech or you know, um, uh, healthcare authorities, no. But you know what's, what's on the other extreme? Right now in some of the healthcare systems, 60 to 70% of data exchange is done through fax machines. Guys, when was the last time you actually seen fax machine? Are you okay with your data, your health data is transferred through faxes? 
Yeah. No, I'm not. We just underleveraged in this whole thing. Like, when was the last time you were trying to collect, you know, all your like a health file to have an intelligent discussion with your doctor? You would need to come back to like any clinic and every doctor you've seen and trying to make a paper copy. You know, I have these two big files in my offices because I still don't have like a one electronic health record which collects my health data even for the last um, uh, 10 years. So I'm not saying we need to be like really radical and transparent about this whole thing, but I, what I'm saying, we don't need to be so old style about exchanging, you know, the health data through fax machines. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, there's certainly a lot of implications there, but I, I absolutely believe that we could derive so much from the data and if we could show and demonstrate to people that their health and their lives would improve, they would give the data away for kind of a, an improved service and, and care facility. Yeah, just one other comment. So when you think about healthcare today, like what are the kind of players that comes to your mind? It's um, hospitals, insurance companies, big pharma uh, as well. Um, in 10 years time, I do believe that the largest healthcare companies on earth going to be called Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. If we will not do this through like regulatory means, uh, just by changing our policies and educating the public and changing healthcare system, uh, change will not come from old players doing new things. Change will come from new players disrupting the whole old system. Well, that's why Apple is, uh, and, and there's so many big tech companies over-investing in healthcare. Just, I think it was last year, Morgan Stanley did a report saying Apple can do up to 50% of its revenue by the end of this decade from healthcare. And watch out, Apple, they have a, a history of disrupting so many spaces. So the, the same change can come from uh, Apple and Apple, Apple Watch and so many other wearables are becoming our personalized healthcare device. Uh, it's not, you know, helping me to integrate with my WhatsApp uh, or count 10,000 steps a day. They would add a couple of features in the next two years, and this is going to be 95% of my of my health data that I need to monitor every day. That's amazing opportunity, but also I would like to for us to use this opportunity to the set of. Uh, uh, changes on the regul regulatory front uh, and in terms of changing the public ethics and, and social contracts for the benefit of everyone, rather than outsourcing this whole thing to Apple or to Google or to Microsoft, and then obviously enjoying this whole thing, but paying a lot of money to the big tech. Yeah. And I think there's uh, there's certainly space uh, for, for new companies in this field as healthcare oh, yeah. for um, consumerism. Uh, from paternalism, they can, you know, drive. And I think both um, the, the work we do on the investing side is really designed to support new companies disrupting the space. But I fully agree that with the new connected devices, we'll be able to do a lot more. And I, I like your, um, I mean, people say futuristic, but I would like to say it's uh, realistic, like evidence-based approach of um, the, the healthcare at home in the future of Perhaps, you know, you could give us a bit of an overview. I had a, a similar dream and people say it's science fiction, but I, I'm saying it's reality very soon that you would wake up and you would have your medical devices um, in, in your home and you would figure out, um, you know, how, what's the exact dose of, of vitamins and nutrients that you need yeah. to take in the day and then your sleep monitored and you've already mentioned some of the few devices that you have, but 
they're advancing. So, you know, hopefully in a few years, you don't even need to go to the hospital um, only for acute emergencies. So I think there's there's a lot to do about that. And I think you actually yeah. talk about it in the book as well and in a yeah. very illustrative way. It is, yeah. So I have two chapters in the end, right before the bonus chapter, like what you can do today. For me, this is the most important part of the book. But uh, so one describes... Um, our day in 30 to 50 years from now. So I'm going to define it. But the other chapter, the final chapter of the book is also important. It's called Morality of Immortality. There's, there's so many ethical trade-offs that we need to solve before we embrace the idea of radical longevity in this world. It's almost like, I just did a TEDx talk on that. Again, it's called Morality of Immortality. And what I say, we have created the science and technology to extend our life, but we still haven't created the life that we want to extend. So that's important. So I'm gonna be telling you all these beautiful things about human avatars in a minute, but we need to understand that we need to start a global conversation about the, about the future of the world, how we need to change that in terms of you know, closing the inequality gap, in terms of adjusting our social norms and um, social contracts like marriage, career, our approach to life, um, uh, and or in terms of just resetting our relationship with mother nature, right? Right now, you can, I mean, you think you live like 75 or 85 years, you can be irresponsible about your ecological trade-offs. But in the future, when we all live radically longer, we're going to face the consequences of our own actions. So we need to sort it out today. Well, this was the ethical side. And I actually do believe in 20 years from now, the biggest obstacles to use all these beautiful technologies is not going to be science. It's not going to be technology. It's going to be ethics and regulation. So this is about the ethical side of it. So then, well, let's take a look at the next 20 to 30 years. So how the world of medicine and our life will change. Number one, we will have uh, a proven ability and very safe um, tools to modify our genes. So we can eliminate a lot of diseases. We can fight a lot of diseases and therefore increase our lifespan. So that's, that's pretty clear. We're gonna help people who suffer from neurogenerative diseases to live their, their highest quality life because of the integration uh, between human brain and artificial intelligence. And we people, we tend to be binary. It's either like black or white, one or zero. So it's not, I don't think it's gonna be either artificial intelligence or human intelligence. We're gonna coexist and uh, it's all gonna be very complementary. So human brain, AI integration, gonna be essential part of it. I'm, you know, we were looking at different non-invasive interfaces, but seems to me that, that Elon Musk um, has his own way of, uh, of building Neuralink and, and using actually invasive technology of electrodes to combine you with computer power. And this is not the last time that he was right and I was wrong. So I'm not making a prediction on what technology will, uh, will win. Um, so what else? Um, we're going to be having uh, options of... Um, uh, of using human avatars technologies. And actually my resolution for next year is to create the, the virtual avatar of Sergey Young. Uh, I need, because I want to change 1 billion lives. So I need more guys like me participating in a conference, co-hosting, ask me anything events, doing a lot of different things. And uh, 
in in 20 to 30 years from now, it's going to be okay to have a human avatar. I still don't know whether it's going to be a robotic avatar. And I actually interviewed uh, the man who invented this whole concept back in 1980. Uh, uh, is Professor Sasumi Tachi from uh, Kyoto University. Uh, and uh, he still call it tele-existent, but it's like we call it human avatars. So it's either going to be robotic or virtual avatar. And it's not going to be that scary. You will have an opportunity to... Um, to replicate yourself in a virtual uh, world in a controlled manner and therefore leveraging up your efficiency and uh, fulfill more dreams and uh, fulfill your mission uh, in life. Similar to the concept of Internet of Things, it's going to be the concept of Internet of Bodies. We're all going to be interconnected. We're interconnected today anyway, but through very inefficient um, interfaces. So I'm using my eyes, my um, fingers to type the messages, my ears to listen. But um, it's it's all going to be seamless. Uh, we're going to be full of sensors. I'm full of sensors today anyway. But like for the rest of the world, we can monitor ourselves. Similar, I mean, if I'm taking enormous care about my own car, you know, I should take the same level of care, use a lot of sensors and technology to manage my most important tool, right? My body and my mind. So this is what um, gonna happen. And we're gonna have completely new um, category of drugs in 20 to 30 years from now, which gonna be drugs which, which tackle aging at its core, rather than uh, just trying to eliminate disease one by one. So that's that's just the, that's just a view of the future, the picture of the future that I have. But uh, guys, you need to be careful. I'm always over-optimistic. So like you, we need to have a little bit of uh, skeptical voices around this as well. So I'm, I'm totally aware of that. Wow, Sergey. Well, again, so many points. Um, I just want to say first that we are really excited to be the first people to interview your avatar here at Salt. So um, <laughs> book us in straight away. I, I want to be kind of one of one of the first people doing that. Um, but uh, for sure, and I think what you mentioned is a, is a, is a really important topic. And Eric Topol was discussing it in his book Deep Medicine about two years ago. That actually. Um, the technology will no longer be a rate limiting step. Yeah. It, it used to be. Now we're we're there. We're kind of using the technology to solve problems in biology. But what will be a problem will be doctors who um, like empathy. Like how do we empower the human connection? And then the the one aspect that you mentioned is this morality of immortality. Um, and uh, often when people ask you and you say, oh, you work in the field of longevity, people say, but we already have. Um, climate change and so many disasters and uh, um, um, a big population for this planet. Uh, why would we want to live longer? Um, they think of it as a as a resource limited, um, closed concept. So when you know when you say that you want to extend lives of at least one billion people to live to two hundred years, and you've written a chapter and you have a statistical approach that will, you know, statistically likely to yield effect. Um, how do you deal with that and how do you ensure and what are the other things that we need to address, you know, like cellular agriculture, um, uh, climate change, and in what ways so that we can ensure that the, the this growth in, in human health and longevity is sustainable. The other concept that you mentioned that I would like you to elaborate on is this idea of when you live longer, you tend to optimize for longer term goals. This kind of stems from the Stanford socioeconomic selectivity theory of aging, right? That 
if we know that we're going to live only for the next 10 years, we won't care about the planet. We just try to consume all the resources. But if we know that we have um, 100 years left, we would try to plan more carefully. So how do you think we can use longevity to actually drive that innovation that is needed to make it um, increase the lifespan more sustainable, beneficial uh, for, for the planet as well? And how do you address this? I'm sure you get similar questions. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, I, I do believe longevity and, and fighting the aging processes inside our body uh, can be one of the few unifying themes for the nations and, and the countries and for the world. Uh, because inequality gap is, is increasing all the time. Uh, and I do believe the affordable and accessible version of healthcare is, is something that can unite. It's almost like part of the, your universal basic rights uh, or income or the, the and a services mix that you, you need to receive. So a um, few things. I obviously receive these comments a lot, so I've developed my own way to respond to that. Number one, uh, I'm not particularly concerned about overpopulation of the planet because if you look at any sensible research on where we where we going with overpopulation, our reproductive rates in all the continents uh, beside African uh, are well below uh, two uh, for every female. So uh, if you look at the mathematical model of population of the planet. Uh, Using the status quo, like where we are today, um, the population of the planet is going to increase to 10 or 11 billion by year 2050, and then it's going to decline to 8 billion in the end of this century. China will lose 600 million people from its population if, if you know, China will not address that. Uh, like going down from 1.4 billion to 800 million, and the same for for majority of countries in the world. So it's not like we have an option to extend our lives. It's, it's, it's our obligation and a need to respond to this risk of decreasing, decreasing population on, uh, of Earth. So that's, that's number one. Number two, I'm not really concerned about resources side. And, um, and my very good friend, Peter Diamantius, is, uh, uh, is probably the best example of uh, speaking about these topics. Uh, this is just like resource limitation is our limiting beliefs. And, um, you know, look at the cost of renewable uh, energy uh, and it's, it's just always declining or the cost of computer power or, well, let's talk about food. Before we go into different like a vertical, uh, vertical um, uh, agriculture uh, or cell-based uh, lab-grown meat, 45% um, of food goes to waste uh, in US every day, from our supermarkets, from our table, from our households as well, 45%. We're living in the, like in the abundant world, we're just not really smart about how we're using these resources. Um, so that's, that's important as well. So I, I do believe I'm not really concerned about resources, but I do concern about the ethics of, um, of the society. I, I just don't think we're ready for the questions that we're facing. And, and it's, and again, life extension and increasing the lifespan. It's happening whether you want it or not. We doubled our lifespan in the last hundred years on earth. And, and this trend will continue. And then it's up to you, whether you're waiting for the next 20 to 30 years or you, you 
thoughtful and proactive and preventive about this whole thing. And you're trying to respond to a lot of basic questions that all people ask, how my life will change? Will it be several minimal, uh, several uh, beautiful mini lives, right? Or what will ha happen to my career? Can I have as many careers as decades in my, in my life? Or what will happen to marriage? Will we switch to more kids raising partnerships? right? Like two thirds of the families go to divorce today in the first three, five or seven years of their life, depending on the country which you look at. Uh, so we need to solve these problems anyway. It's not like some crazy guys arrive with the magic pill to extend our life. And then we have all this disaster. We already have this disaster. We need to sort it out. And longevity technologies and the progress in, in the science and technology of longevity is a great opportunity to start the conversation and our thinking process uh, on that. Yeah, I, I actually like your response. I like that longevity could serve as a as a solution or at least a driving force to address some of the needs that and the problems that we already face. And you're, you're right, uh, there are so many problems um, to address and hopefully living longer and healthier and healthier will will serve as, a, as an engine to, to help us power through um, these issues. And I guess, Sergei, just to kind of um, uh, wrap up, because I, I, we could talk for yeah, know, forever. 10 hours and, and even longer, 200 Look, years. Look, I'm planning to live 200 yeah, years, so I have plenty of time. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm joining your longevity club, okay? Like, uh, and, and, so, and, and want to hang with the avatar for sure. Um, so what is, you know, coming up? You mentioned your, you have a new, your fund. Uh, the portfolio has been going incredibly well. Obviously, the book launch is, is in August. Um, can you give us a bit of an update of the things that you're working on, excited about? We're, you know, here preparing for Salt New York, yeah. um, covering all these ideas in and uh, advances in this longevity programmable biology space. Is there anything? Yeah. So what I'm what I'm trying to do is um, I'm trying to build awareness about the opportunities in in longevity field for as many people as possible. So I just launched my longevity video academy. And, and, and for someone who pre-orders the book, if you go to sergeyyoung.com, you can pre-order the book and you have, can have access to this academy um, as well. It's like 12 videos, 10 minutes each, talking about different aspects of longevity and this you know, beautiful today and beautiful tomorrow that we all are developing. I've just done, a, uh, as I said, TEDx talk on uh, morality of immortality. So this is going to be published very soon. It's, I'm fascinated by the ethical dilemmas and trade-offs that we all need to solve. Um, for that, again, my my resolution for the next year is to to build a virtual avatar. We're going to be working as a couple together, like a real me and a virtual me, uh, for the next few months until uh, he uh, will um, will absorb you know, all my you know, intelligence and can replace me, and and uh, I can double down in effort on my mission uh, with this. I'm looking for the country to change in the next uh, 12 uh, months, because if you wanna change your health, you have like three options. One, you can try to do it on your own basis. And we are really lazy and disciplined as a species. Uh, then, or you can work with corporation or you can work with the government to change the, the whole you know, you know, employee base um, habits or the whole kind of nation and implement uh, and, and, and create longevity enabling environment in certain corporate environment or in certain country. So I'm in discussion with few countries or, and, and uh, 
one state in in US to help them to implement this. Uh, well, I call it longevity at work because uh, I've done it with uh, few um, huge corporations uh, all over the world. The largest project I've done was changing 300,000 people's life. Uh, it, it was employee base of one of the largest financial institutions in 20 plus countries. And again, this is all pro bono. I'm not really uh, taking uh, any money uh, from it, but it's fascinating how you can create like a longevity bubble for so many people and they all have an opportunity to live longer, um, healthy and happy life. Obviously investing in this essential part. I, I, I love to support the field with uh, with the money, with our scientific knowledge, rather than just um, making the public statements. And I do hope that early next year we can launch a Ageversal X Prize, this pro bono technological competition. We we expect in two, three, four hundred uh, different teams from fifty plus countries to fight like who can reverse aging. Uh, and we just done the largest X Prize competition in in the history of X Prize Foundation with Elon Musk for hundred million dollars to remove carbon from the atmosphere and create the minimum viable products. It's a hundred million dollars price for this uh, pro bono competition. So I'm trying to replicate the success um, and uh, we're gonna launch another, hopefully hundred million dollars price early next year. So then a lot of beautiful minds uh, from scientific and entrepreneurial and technological background can compete and provide solution for aging and therefore fighting all this killer disease. Well, fascinating, and uh, I'm really excited about the X Prize. I'll, I'll hold you onto that because we do want a lot of young scientists and people from all over the world using their um, all their talent to um, fight aging. And uh, we'll wait to hear the announcement. It's going to be like Bitcoin in El Salvador, right? That we're going to this a country that is incorporating aging um, with uh, with Sergey Young. So exciting to hear what's coming up. Thank you for sharing uh, all the everything you're up to, Sergey. It's incredibly inspiring. Uh, you're definitely getting uh, 10 years of extra life there in terms of happiness <laughs> and sense of purpose. You've inspired me as well. I think it inspired everyone uh, listening. Um, it's really exciting to have you. I can't wait to get the hard copy of the book. I think uh, everyone will try to get it. I think we're also having it um, at our physical event as well um, in New York coming up in September. And thank you once again for uh, your time today. This is brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. If I can have like a one minute closing thought. Um, think about this. We outsource our health decisions to so many parties, to you know, big food, to government, to healthcare providers, to insurance companies. And um, I do think we need to take back control and responsibility for our own, our own health. We need to be a part of this conversation. And specifically today, post COVID, uh, I think it was wake up call for all of us. So again, it's time to take responsibility for our own health. And you know, we are here to help you stay healthy and happy. Love it. Thank you, Dr. Dina, for leading the conversation. Thank you, Sergey, for joining us on Salt Talks. And thank you everybody for tuning in to today's Salt Talk with Sergey Young, one of the foremost experts in longevity. He has a great new book coming out that we're excited to give out to our attendees at the Salt Conference in September. It's called The Science and Technology of Growing Young. So just another incentive for you to show up uh, to the Javits Center expansion in September here in New York. Uh, but just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous SALT talks, you can access them on our website on demand at salt.org backslash talks. We post all the transcripts, 
and show notes there as well. So a great resource if you're looking to learn about a variety of different issues that we cover. Uh, and also on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. We're also on social media. Uh, Twitter is where we're most active at Salt Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And on behalf of Dr. Dina and the entire Salt team, this is John Darcy signing off from Salt Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.